0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, Middle Initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And you are listening to the mesmerizing sounds of Creekside Prayer from the CD Creekside Prayer. That's the title of the CD and the tune or the instrumental on Native American flute. And the gentleman performing on that Native American flute is sitting a good social distance away from me. On the Shabro stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company in downtown Frederick, Stephen Darnell. Stephen, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you, Todd, for the invite. It's exciting to be here on this beautiful summer day with low humidity for once.
0: That's right. That's right. And it's uh, pre-96, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we do it early in the morning under the shade of these nice trees. So, Now, Creekside Prayer, since you live in the Frederick area where we have the Carroll Creek, and we have lots of creeks and rivers. But this tune especially, although it doesn't sound specifically like a loon, it does make me think of like a Walden's Pond or something Mm. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, very relaxing, um... Contemplating sitting next to, a, you know, on the rocks next to the pond and the occasional uh, dragonfly going by and swatting mosquitoes, things like that.
1: Absolutely. That's where I get my uh, inspiration from. And this particular tune, um, uh, I used to live in Clarksburg and uh, I would frequent a lot the Little Bennett Creek. And uh, the actual photograph on the CD is a photograph I took from Little Bennett Creek, and that's where this particular song was composed. And uh, uh, I get a lot of my inspiration from there. And uh, uh, there is, uh, although I didn't intentionally have a loon sound on it, but there is another song on the CD called Pond Reflections that I tried to emulate a loon on that.
0: As opposed to Looney Tunes. As opposed to Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> so now when you say you composed this piece at, uh, at the park, how, do you compose writing notes down, or is it just you play until you get something that you like and you repeat that and then something else comes out? How do you go about composing on Native American flute?
1: Well, unlike any other instrument that I've played in the past, the Native American style flute, I say style flute, um... Uh, because out of respect for the Native American population sense, uh, it was not made from a Native American. So I call it Native American style flute. Um, when I play something, I close my eyes, and it sounds like a cliché, but I close my eyes, and I really don't know what's going to come out. And I listen to my heart, I listen to my mind, I listen to my surroundings, and I start to play. If it's something that sounds like it has potential, uh, I will break out my phone and do a crude recording on the voice and then work on it. Um, I do not I do write notes down. I have Finale software, but I do that way later, just if I want to put it down for posterity or if, if I want to play around with potentially other instruments with it. But uh, usually I don't write it down. I do it by memory and for some reason, when I, when I play the flute, I remember what I did, but in actuality, it's never played exactly the same when I play it again. Uh, so that's, that's the beauty of it. So uh, yes and no on the writing down, uh, but mostly no. Now is
0: your memory as good with other things it is as it is remembering <laughs> the...
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I have a pretty good long-term memory I have a lousy short-term memory. But this is short-term memory. It is short-term memory, but it's music. And for some reason, music resonates and sticks with me better. And mostly it's, it's so much on the emotional side and, um, and it plays on my feelings and emotions. And for some reason, I remember that. Uh, my muscle memory remembers that. Uh, and my breathing when I play remembers that. I don't know how, I, it's not conscious.
0: Now, did it take you long to learn the Native American flute or the uh, Native American style flute?
1: Uh, no, it, it did not take me very long. Um, I mean, I, I, as a musician, uh, I grew up playing music um, ever since I was in the seventh grade uh I, I i played french horn most of my life so oh, you did I, I do have the um, classical training with that and i played handbells uh, at the lutheran church in silver spring saint luke uh, for a great portion of my life too um, but when it comes to the native american style flute uh, i self-taught um, and the beauty of being a pentatonic minor scale um, makes it fairly easy to play Um, and I don't, unlike if I play the penny whistle or I play the French horn or any other instrument with the Native American style flute I don't read the notes if I write something down um, I I just play it. Um, So um, it wasn't that difficult because I really wanted to learn it and um, and it spawned a creativity in me that I've never had before. And so it allowed me just to sit down and play what I want, play what I feel. And it just made it that much more um, of a love to learn. And so I learned it. Um, you know i I got some books, uh, it, you know learned the uh, styles, watched to see how. Um, people would play it. But mainly I just picked it up and just started playing and see what came out. Uh, learned what each you know, finger hole meant. Um, y- you know, it's in the same family as other, like say type fipple flutes, you know, kind of like the recorder or the penny whistle. So the idea of playing it is roughly the same. So um, yeah, so it, it really wasn't that difficult to learn. Um, unlike some of the other instruments that I picked up to try to learn
0: now how what drew you to it originally
1: so um, the first time I heard it uh, I was um, going through it might have been Spotify just going through a bunch of channels and um, I I'm a very emotional person and you know I really needed to find relaxing state so I went through and went through a random choice of music and I came across this recording Um, I think it was called uh, Native Lands Uh, its music of the National Park series and there's this one particular song on it um, by Robert Tree Cody called cry for rain and it was the most it was incredibly beautiful that was the first time i heard the the flute realizing that's what it was it was a beautiful guitar piece rain in the background and this flute started to play but it wasn't the main component of the song it was a very light background like it was part of the rain and i remembered saying wow that is gorgeous that is absolutely gorgeous And then so I started specifically picking out flute songs. Then I came across Douglas Spotted Eagle, who to this day, he's the one that really inspired me to really want to play. He has a song called Closer Still, which is my all-time favorite tune. And uh, every time I hear it, it's so emotional, so beautiful. And his style of playing, it's like, I want to learn how to play this because this flute is A sound I've never heard before and it's so mellow and it really resonates to the heart and so that's what really began my journey on playing the flute now you mentioned earlier that it's
0: not a Native American flute it's a Native American style Mm -hmm. flute Mm -hmm. expound on that
1: so um, the Native American style flute is a term out of respect for the community that it was made, the flute was made by an artisan that was not Native American, okay? The original? Correct, okay. Yes, so um, so that's the term that I use. So none of the flutes that I have are pure Native American, mm-hmm. um, so I call it the style flute. But does
0: the this style of flute playing does, did it originate with the Native, Native Americans?
1: Well, so the uh, all the tunes on Creekside Prayer, uh, all the tunes that I come up with uh, are my own tunes. Mm-hmm. I don't emulate uh, a particular sound. Now, um, I'll be honest with you that there's a lot of influence with the style of playing. Like, for instance, uh, Creekside Prayer uh, to me is is more indicative of that style, but again, it's uh, uh, unconscious. I I, I don't purposely try to find a style. Uh, I'm trying to create my own style Mm -hmm. with that. Um, And um, yeah, so uh, if I'm playing other music by other artists, um, you know, I try to emulate their style and add a little bit of my, my twist to it. Um, but most everything I do is just what comes from me, and I don't. I'm not conscious of mm-hmm. uh, it, it. It'll be pure coincidence if it sounds.
0: Now, is the Native American style flute? Is it big in the Native American community, or is it like only a few people, like the gentleman you mentioned, who you really well, emulate? Well, it,
1: it is in the community. Uh, I don't see it uh, as often. the The um, type of Flute that I'm playing on the uh, CD really is not that um, old, as it as it were. I say from the um, mid 1800s. <coughs> um, uh, there are the older style flutes, like the ancient pueblo style flute, often called the Anasazi flute, which is a flat rim flute. Um, that's another beautiful sounding Native American uh, flute. Um, that's played, and that has origins that date, you know, back 600, 650 um, Common Era. So that's pretty old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but it it has originated, but it almost disappeared, uh, you know, during the push to absorb the Native American community. They disallowed any... Playing. Oh, was that of right? This instrument, yes, uh, for the longest time, and it wasn't until fairly recent, uh, I think in the 60s or 70s, that it started to come back again, um, and um, it, it's making a resurgence now. Um, it's sort of like a refound mm-hmm. uh, part of the culture, um, so yeah, and it, it's it's played a lot in ceremonial ceremonial sounds um, so th- i mean there are some artists out there that play very traditional with it and others more of a <clears throat> um, new age type spiritual uh, which is the category that i see myself in um, so it, it, it it's it's quite versatile instrument and being in the minor scale it, it you know it it shows its emotion mm-hmm. a lot so
0: now, it, it seems to me, and, and I could be totally incorrect on this, because we have you, we have Randy. Mm-hmm. Our, well, I think at least they, I think he's still around. I know he was planning on moving.
1: He's, he's traveling the States right now. Traveling in, the States. In, in in mobile an, home, yes.
0: In a rather difficult time to travel, <laughs> although he's self-quarantined inside the uh, That's right. RV. Mm-hmm. So there are two, and then Chris, who used to come out and do the mm-hmm. uh, Frederick Coffee Company open mic, and I haven't seen him, gosh, in four years, five years. But he used to go and perform mm-hmm. in the tunnel, mm-hmm. at the park. Oh yes, yes, yes. because he loved the echo and the natural reverb. I love playing the didgeridoo in there. Yeah. Oh, I imagine <laughs> with that low. Yeah. So, is that unusual to have three people? And maybe yeah. there's one or two more because I know there's a fellow out of Montgomery County or Northern yes. Virginia.
1: There's, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Jeff Ball. Yes, I've heard him. Um. Uh. And uh. Uh, If I may, I have a really interesting story about him to tell. I uh, met him. uh, I've known of him for so long because he's such a great performer, a great musician of the flute. He's got several CDs out. Um, I first met of him at the Potomac Native American Flute Festival back in, I think it was 2014. I didn't know there was such a Uh, thing. There was such a thing. It kind of went... Defunct, and I think they're trying to bring it back again now. But back then, I I saw him and, you know, since then I have several of his CDs, love his music. Well, go back at right around the beginning of the pandemic. uh, I was at my fiance's house, Jolie's house, and it was a beautiful day. And I set up the amp in the back and the microphone wanted to get a nice video of me playing. And so, you know, I was playing in the back just playing and I stopped playing. And then I heard this flute off in the distance. And and I'm like, I just thought it was just an echo from Mm -hmm. the reverb or something. And Jolie came out and says, did you hear that? So I played something again. And then it answered me just what I played. And I'm like, this is weird. And then I look over at the fence and here's this gentleman walking towards the fence playing his flute and so I answered him. It was Jeff Ball. He lived He's in He's a community. neighbor of my fiance, <laughs> Jolie. And it was the most, I think of one of the most exciting moments of my life, meeting someone of my heroes in music and seeing him, and we got this wonderful selfie picture of both of us. You know, he's on one side of the fence. I'm on the other. We're doing our so- social distance picture. Mm-hmm. And it was just a wonderful experience. Wow, he lives a small world.
0: Well, I mean, what are the chances, because it's not a mainstream instrument. No, it is not. That that he would be living and, and, mm-hmm. and have been outside enough or had the windows open to hear mm-hmm. you to be able to grab his flute and answer you. What right. a, a cool thing just to happen.
1: an amazing amazing story and so uh, it, it was. and so you, you know we're friends on Facebook and we're communicating back and forth so it's wonderful
0: <laughs> well let's go back to your start in music you said okay. you, you started yeah. around the eighth, seventh grade I started but in seventh grade did you grow up in a musical family
1: so yeah well my mother is musical um, she's sung in the choir uh, she plays some piano my Maternal grandmother uh, was the pianist for the church, so she's very musical. And my maternal grandfather, uh, so on my mom's side of the family, very musical. Um, And how it how it got started for me in seventh grade back back then it was junior high school. That's correct. It wasn't middle school. That's right. So back in seventh grade, I went into beginning band. And I thought in my mind what I might play. It's ironic because I thought to myself, well, I'll play flute or something, you know, because you know that was the era of, you know, I listened to Jethro Tull a lot, so I, you know, saw myself being a rock star playing the flute. <laughs> so um, I went in there and uh, and there was a picture all on the wall of all the different types of mouthpieces. And Mr. Carcetti, I'll never forget Mr. Carchetti. And he says, "Well, what do you think you want to play?" And I said, "Okay, let's you know, let's try the, the the flute." He says, "Okay, I'll bring out some mouthpieces." He says, "Here's the flute," uh, you know, and tried different things. I says, "Well, what about this?" He goes, "He says, well, here's trumpet, here's you know your reeded instruments, but this, this is a French horn mouthpiece." <laughs> completely set me up, right? This is I'm like, what's a French horn? <laughs> And he pointed up, I see this curly thing up on the wall and my first thought was That's a that's a shield. Yeah. That's what it looks <laughs> you know? like, yeah. And I said, What's a French horn? He says, This is a French horn. He says, Here, try this mouthpiece, try this, try this horn mouthpiece. He's like, Oh my gosh, the horn. You're the horn player. You got it, you know, unbeknownst to me. He only had like maybe one horn player. <laughs> and so he needed horn players. And I'm like, All right, let's give it a shot. Um, and ever since then I loved it Uh, played the horn um, all through junior high school all through high school and the first year of college Uh, and uh, I stuck with it um, came pretty cocky with it we had in high school we had a really good horn section I mean really good we were very fortunate I went to Laurel High School and uh, we always joked around by saying, you know, whenever we had a performance, we want the horn section to be elevated a little bit mm-hmm. and then have like a pink light shine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, we would just joke around like that. It, you know, it's the Laurel horn section accompanied by band, you know? Right. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, that aside, so yeah, so I played horn um, and uh, put it down after, uh, you know, I, was, I went to college and, and when I went into the Navy, when I came out, I kind of picked it up again uh, and was in, in the NIH orchestra for a while. Um, so, but yeah, so I was a horn player for quite some time and the other instrument um, was the handbells. So, uh, <laughs> um, so at uh, St. Luke Lutheran Church in Silver Spring, this no. is what I meant by just, live, just, It's taping the beautiful live. outdoors, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's, it's reality. That is correct. But so you know it's real. Um, and so uh, I also played handbells. And that I've played ever since, like, you know, sixth grade, all the way on up, all the way up till the 90s. And that was a passion, too.
0: Now, are they... I mean, you're, you're playing music. Mm-hmm.
1: But is it more about timing? So for handbells, you really have to have a cohesive group because everyone is responsible for a range of notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was uh, when you have a large choir, like say twelve people, you can span like maybe three octaves of bells. And so, like you know, you might have the F and G something like that and you really have it's counting and it's feeling the music and counting is so important on that uh, because you need to come in when you're coming in especially if you have like a run of eighth notes or something like that Um, and uh, yes you have to have a cohesive group and you have to know how to count Uh, and back in like say 1991 or so we formed an ensemble group there was like four or five of us where we wanted to cover the same range of bells, but there's only several of us. Um, there was a group that was together for out of L.A. They called themselves Campanile, and they did a lot of pop rock songs. I, I mean, the the just any song, not just secular music that you might hear in a church service. And they really were so lively, and they were they were performers, and so we wanted to be we wanted to create a group like that and so there were four of us and we learned a technique called four in hand where you play four bells at once so two in each hand two in each hand and the way you do it you know because there's a clapper that goes the one way on the bell you lay one one way and then you lay it the other way so when you pick it up if you ring this way this bell would ring if you turn your wrist ring this way this bell will ring but this one won't so you can have four bells in your hand and we would do all kinds of tunes and we just have fun with it and that and that was the sort of thing you really know the music where yes you're counting but you're feeling it so you know the runs we do a lot of bach pieces we did a lot of vivaldi pieces you know like from the four seasons and concertos we even did take five which was a really fun piece to play and you're really just going on that and having fun and we would even include things where we pass a bell down so that every you've person got a plays spider
0: it. on your. There you go. He's on your coming up your leg now.
1: Okay, I'm trying not to panic. On the left leg. <laughs> I'm trying not to panic.
0: See him now? There oh, there he's goes, crawling away. He's there you the the go.
1: Now, oh, thank goodness. Okay, you didn't you didn't hear me wail and scream, <laughs> but you did drop your cell phone. I did. I did drop my cell. phone. That, that's okay. Casualties of war. (laughs) I
0: I didn't want it to jump onto your nose. Thank
1: goodness, because this would have been a very interesting (laughs) (laughs) interview. The perils of outdoor. The perils of outdoor. I had, back in my days when I was a runner, I would run early. at my job, so it was always first thing in the morning. And you know, spiders like to build their webs at night, so I was always the first going through the paths. And one of my coworkers happened to look out the window and all they saw was this screaming and arms just <laughs> flailing like that look of, what the heck is that guy doing? And it was me running into the crinkle of a spider web. And there's nothing worse. It, I, I agree. There's nothing worse than, than that. Well, no,
0: I think the only thing worse than that is is running into a swarm of hornets who sting you. Oh,
1: gosh. Well, I think I'd rather do that than do a spider. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not knowing where the spider is, is worse. That's, uh, yes.
0: (laughs) Thus, the reason for me to... I had seen a little bit of a, you know, the string webs that go off to the side, and I kept thinking, "How did that get there?" We've only been sitting here for, you know, 26 minutes. Okay, cut. (laughs) (laughs) So, going back to the Mm -hmm. handbells, was it difficult to learn that two bell per hand technique?
1: It's it's a challenge. I mean, because you know, the lower the octave you go, the bigger the bells become. So they're heavy. And so they become heavy and there comes a point that you just physically can't do it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just the passion of it. Uh, we were all pretty good and we loved it. It was a, it was a great experience just, just to be able to pick songs that we can do. And there's a lot of bell music out there um, and a lot of bell festivals we used to go to. And you go to these bell festivals Uh, There was, you know, one in um, down at Virginia Beach, Ocean City, and you go to a convention center and you've got hundreds of bell choirs there. And it all culminates with at the very end, everyone got the same piece of music. Everyone learned it. And like the last couple of pieces is everyone playing the exact same piece. and You've got thousands of players playing and it is just fantastic. It is fantastic. So it, it, it really, you know, and the best thing with that is you hear people afterwards saying, I never knew bells could be like that. You know, because they're used to hearing what you hear Christmas time yes. in, in malls or something like that, uh, which is fine in its own right, but this really expanded that you can really do a lot with the bells. And it, it was just a wonderful experience in my life, and I'm glad I experienced that.
0: Now, what happened to that group?
1: Well, so they're still together down in Silver Spring, but since I moved up to the Frederick area, uh, it, it's, it was just very hard to be a part of that uh, still because they meet uh, on weeknights, mm-hmm. and um, it, it just it became very difficult, you know, um, having the family and and the distance involved so i was sad to have to let that go i was going to ask you if that
0: was a difficult decision to 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 back away
1: yeah uh it was i mean i when i was in clarksburg tried it for a while um, but it just it became very difficult and i was worried about um affecting the the um the uh, group in in ways and you know didn't want it to be so stressful and you know since usually i get up Oh, dark 30 in the morning, um, to go to work. Uh, it was hard to get home late at night and then, and, and,
0: and, to, and stuff, so. to try to be part of a family unit as well. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: You know, to a kids growing up and y- you know, it's, it's the same old story that a lot of, uh, musicians and artists have to make a decision on. Um, you know, but I compensate with that and, you know, pick up new, um, you know new ventures you know i, I um, fell in love with the penny whistle also because I, I love irish music mm-hmm. um y- you know one of my favorite bands is um uh, uh and you know hearing this instrument this small instrument very small very high pitched but it was wonderful because they were really flying on it and uh, that was yet another instrument i wanted to learn so i learned the penny whistle and um and so every up in westminster every second and fourth wednesdays they would have an open session so you can you know anyone who plays irish music you know they just gather they sit around the fireplace and play and you play if you know the tune if you don't know the tune just sit back and drink your beer you know (laughs) so i did that for um for uh, a long time too so that was a lot of fun made a lot of good friends with that um, you know, I, um, have to mission, uh, mention, uh, Tony and Bob Doherty. They were the ones They were very, very kind in letting me in. Cause my first time at a session, you learn the etiquette of being in a session. So I, you know, kind of learned trial by fire. You know, when I first went there, it's like, well, can I use music to read this? And you're like, <gasps> ah, you know, um, it, you know, cause you, don't do that in Irish session, but they allowed it. And I said, okay, I'm gonna memorize everything, you know. And, and that's, you know, that's the tradition, and uh, and and it's never the same twice either. You you know, everyone knows, like say, you know, Drowsy Maggie. You know, everyone can play it, but it's never never really sounds the same every time because everyone adds their own nuances to it. And that's the freedom with these folk instruments that I play. Uh, I I would play a familiar tune, but you know you can add your own embellishments and you know just go off on it and uh, claim it as your own and it sounds just as good you know so it it forced me to grow as a musician more too to know about you know the key of something you know it's in the key but you can play around in that key you know instead of and that's really what i liked a lot better too than you know although i miss playing classical music but you're reading and you play exactly what it is very structured and heaven help you if you don't follow that dynamic reading and the conductor comes down on you you know Um, you know at least what I'm doing now I I do what I want Uh, which has its own downside too. it's playing the Native American style flutes even the penny whistle um, it's more difficult as a soloist it's more difficult like say for people to play with me because I change my tempo a lot. right? And I change it according to feeling. You know, I speed up, I slow mm-hmm. down. Uh, I have ridiculously, you know, long holds. I do a lot of slintondos. I do this and that. And so uh, it, it's harder. And I, if I'm playing with people, I have to, you know, realize you have to stay at the count. You have to make it easy. Uh, unless they know you very well Mm -hmm. uh, and know what you're playing so you know it has its pitfalls with that Um, don't get me wrong I think one of my biggest wishes is to play with a group I I would love to do that more than anything right now because there's only so much you can do as a soloist and of course the older you get the harder it is to lug around all the equipment (laughs) that is so true (laughs) you know uh, you know Hopefully my boys will be my
0: roadies, but, you know, even play. So. Yeah. Now I'm going to have you run your hand like this over the top of the, just uh, Spider because. Webs again? Well, it's one, and I think it's going in the wind because I've uh, noticed uh, you kind of, I think it's gone now. Okay. Because I could see the reflection in the light, and I apologize. <laughs> now, did you play penny whistle before you played Native American style flute?
1: Yes. Um, I played the penny whistle was the first, really, of the folk instruments that I picked up. Uh, I don't remember exactly when I started that. It, it, uh, it was in probably the late 90s. Um, uh, and I picked up the Native American style flute, I think. My f- my uh, first flute was 2012, I believe, uh, which was the same year that I started Didgeridoo also. Um, <laughs> I have to bring this up because the phrase that you coined, you know, I have gas. Yeah. I have a lot <laughs> of gas. <laughs> okay, and it's a and it became a disease. But yes, I um, I, I started the penny whistle uh,
0: first. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the didgeridoo, it's not a highly portable instrument.
1: No, it is not. Um, no, although they they uh, do make the modern digits now that are made, uh, you know, of you know polymers or pvc they have telescoping digits oh they do so you can actually change the key on it by changing the length wow. of it um, and so they can be portable some they they make that's curled like a shell kind of like a French horn or a mm-hmm. shell so it still has the same resonance of a nice long one but it's portable and and small I'm I'm old school I have a didgeridoo that's a specific key uh and of course it's you know when you hit the overtones on it you you can get different notes but um i think i have i have five digits oh you do um e f uh, c d e f b c d e f yes uh so uh, i have you know Again, that's part of the disease. This, the same with the penny whistles. I mm-hmm. have, uh, y- you know, they're in, uh, I have one for each key. Because my rationale is, you never know. That is true, it's like a harmonica You player. never know. And since I I play often at my church, at the universe, um, Unitarian Universalists mm-hmm. uh, of Frederick, that's, that's hard to come off the tongue. It, it's many, uh, many <laughs> words in the, in the um, time. Yeah. That, uh, you know, if I, play tunes with that or play with other people I I would like to be included so I have certain keys and you just never know and every tune if I create my own tune it's specific for that flute or that whistle it just doesn't sound the same if it's with another one so um, yeah it's
0: so if I and I did purchase a penny whistle for my son mm -hmm. when he was probably 12 years old my older boy He played it that day walking down the hallway, Mm -hmm. surprisingly well for just fooling around. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think he has even, I don't even know if he knows where it is. (laughs) I may even have it in my house. But when you go out to purchase a penny whistle, say at a music shop, what key do you normally
1: get? So the traditional penny whistle, uh, you know, from England, Ireland, is in the key of D. Okay, That's traditional. Um, and I think if you want to play whistle based on the colonial era here in the colonies back in the States, that's in the key of C. Hmm. Now, I don't know whether or not it's because we wanted nothing to do with England at the time and they specifically changed the team, but a lot of the tunes are in C, whereas over across the pond it's in D. So that's the most common key is in D. And the penny whistle in D can, of course, play two keys, the the D and the G. So a most most tunes are with one or two sharps on it.
0: Well, if I recall, isn't most Irish Celtic music in the key of D? Correct.
1: Okay. Yes, that and the Scottish music, yes.
0: That's mm-hmm. why so many Celtic and Irish guitar players play in Dadgad. Ah, okay. Because it's d a d g Right,
1: mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, yep, yep. It's mostly written in the key of D.
0: And maybe in the colonies, the reason it's in C is the person who started just wanted to sing along and they have a lower voice. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows?
1: (laughs) Who knows? All that salt air from Boston Harbor probably forced (laughs) them to to sing in a lower key. (laughs) But isn't
0: it interesting that they came from an area where it was Mm -hmm. in the traditionally key of D and yet they came over and it became the key of C.
1: It doesn't- Yeah, I I don't know the rhyme or reason. for that if it was intentional or it just happened. And uh, uh, I'd be curious to know if a lot of the sea chanties too, what, what, what key that is. Uh, I, I I, haven't given that any thought. But you know,
0: that'd be a good question to like John Durant, it, since he does he a lot would, of that style.
1: I, of- I would, he's probably a great encyclopedia on that.
0: I mean, what a wonderful research project mm-hmm. for a music major. Mm-hmm. Maybe in there. I don't know if you could do it in your PhD dissertation because it may not be a large enough subject to be able to do a dissertation on. But at least a research paper of some sort to try to figure that out. Because I am sure there is some sort of historical references somewhere.
1: Yeah, hopefully there is because you know, as you know, the the longer the time gap, the less, less chance of yeah. finding out really what happened. Mm-hmm.
0: So, of the French horn, the penny whistle, the Native American style flute, the bells, Mm -hmm. what is your favorite?
1: (laughs) Don't ask me that. (laughs) It all depends on my mood. I mean, you know, I could just be lazy and say, "Well, I'm not going to pick what my favorite child." You know, Um, but I. I would say probably the one that resonates with me the most is probably the Native American style flute.
0: So if I had to take three of those away, it would not be the Native American style flute?
1: N- no, I would fight tooth and nail for that. Okay. <laughs> now,
0: I know that you, now you've already mentioned you have, what, mm-hmm. five or 7 didgeridoos. Mm-hmm. didger-do's. Mm-hmm. How many Native American style flutes
1: do you own? Oh, probably maybe Mm -hmm. mm-hmm each
0: a different key or just a different different, style
1: different key Um, I have a couple of repeat keys um, but you know the different makers uh, the the uh, timbre and the sound is different and each one has its own resonance to it so um, you know I wanted When I wanted to learn how to play Closer Still by Douglas Spotted Eagle, uh, that's in D minor. And the D minor flute that I had, it just didn't sound exactly the way I wanted it to sound. So I did a very reckless thing is I purchased another flute (laughs) specifically for that song. Um, And so that's the flute I play for that song and of you know i add other tunes to it but you know i can justify anything for the flutes uh, i mean back when i could right now i'm very strict with <laughs> with that so i make with what i have um but yes i i i have most keys there's a couple of keys i would still like like to get but i'm at the stage now that I don't really do cover tunes. If I do cover tunes, I'll just do it in a different key. If I don't have the key for that, mm-hmm. um, and I just sort of do a variation on it. Um, so that, or if I specifically need the key, if I can't do it in the flute, I do it in the penny whistle, cause that's more of a major scale. Um, and uh, yeah, so. And you know I have other types of world instruments too that i that I play that I try to incorporate into whatever the feel is you have some drums, I think don't you i have i you know I have um a hand drum, I have what's called a moyo drum, which is kind of like a steel round drum that you play with that's what I've seen you play yes yes uh, I think uh Randy Motz has one too that he plays on his performances and um um uh, it was his performance that I first heard it, and it sparked my interest with it. And uh, I like I like playing that because I can play that and play the didgeridoo at the same time. Um, so that's 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 kind of nice. Uh, now that dr- that steel drum has, mm-hmm.
0: it's a different sound from what we would consider mm-hmm. the Caribbean steel drums. Yeah. But did it come out of that industry sort of? Uh,
1: it's a type of tongue drum, I guess. <sighs> Like a Hopi type drum, I, I I don't know where it came out of, um, but they're they're I believe they're made from old uh, propane tanks. Oh, okay. You can cut the bottom sure. of propane tanks and cut the slits in them, uh, so a lot of them are are made from that. Um, you can play it both with the hand or with mallets, mm-hmm. um, and it's really a meditative, soothing sound. Um, I mean, it, it, not quite like a Hong drum, but uh, but but very similar. Um, I don't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if it's specific towards a a culture or people, I, I think it's something that was just- It's a hybrid. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah.
0: Now going back to the Native American style flutes, is there a traditional wood that they're made out of or does, is it just the maker and what they choose it's, to?
1: It's whatever is local in the area uh, that would be um, made, and you can get them in all all kinds of woods now. Um, I think some of the most popular are, you know, made from cedar. It's it's a it's softer wood, and it gives you more of a lower mellow sound. Um, they have hardwood ones that are more bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, any kind of wood you can get your hands on makers will make it from. Uh, You go to uh, several makers uh, online, uh, uh, Brent Haynes, for instance, at Wood Sounds Flute. Uh, He's got all kinds of woods that you pick from, and he has sound files for every flute that he plays so that you can actually hear it. Uh, And uh, everyone is specific for what you want.
0: Mm -hmm. So, how did you go about I, well my guess is your first Native American style flute you you just purchased off the rack so to speak
1: yes the uh, the uh, the first one uh, I got was uh, off off the rack um, from uh, high spirits flute. Um, Odell Borg is the maker. It was an E minor flute made of walnut. Uh, I bought that. It's kind of like a beginner style flute. But it's such a beautiful sounding flute. And one thing that I've learned in my years is you can pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a flute, but pay pay up to $100 for another, and the sound can be just as good as one or the other. Sort of like wine. It's really what you want, just like wine, just like wine. So, yes, my my first flute was off the rack, as it were, uh, and I'm very pleased with buying that one. Um, and I think the next ones uh, at the flute festivals was really nice because the makers would actually be there and they would have their own little booth set up they have their flutes and so you're actually able to try them and play them if you're in the market for it Uh, so um, uh, my if you may recall my uh, my bass flute my really big one the low F sharp uh, which is featured on the CD on several tunes. Um, That I had commissioned um, uh, from the uh, uh, flute festival. And so you wait for that because you know what you want. Um, And uh, I have a little story. Uh, The flute that's played for the Creekside Prayer song, that's a B minor flute, and that's made of uh, cherry. And I had no intentions on getting a flute that day. Uh, I was intent on getting a hand drum. And um, uh, Randy Stencil was the flute maker and his, uh, and so I walked by, I was playing, playing the drum and his wife, Shelly, makes the drum. And he had his flutes there and I went and I was looking at him and I, and I saw this flute, it was gorgeous, beautiful. I had no intention on buying the flute, and I picked it up. I was looking at it I said, what kind of wood is this? And he says, you know, it's cherry, and I, I love the leather straps on it. And he says, play it, and I played it, and I'm like, this is beautiful. He says, tell you what, take the flute. I want you to go outside to the gardens outside. Just get out of the building and just play it. Play it as long as you want. Bring it back when you're done. This is the type of man Grandy was, and so I did. I said, Shelly, hold on to this drum. I want this drum. So I took the flute, went outside. I was out there for about 45 minutes playing. You can't really play longer than that because the flutes get wet. They oh, they yes. uh, wet out. Uh, so I played. And it was just just amazing. And I walked back. My head was down. <laughs> I kind of slept in. Had my hand in my back pocket. And pulled out my wallet. And he just laughed. He says. That's how I make my sales, yeah. It's a great way to do it. And it was wonderful, and that, I think, is probably the flute I play the most. Um, And uh, since then, Randy has passed, and I'm really proud to own a flute by him. So uh, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Did you also buy the drum that you had said? I also got
1: the drum. I was intent on getting the drum, um, because it sounds like a cliche, But it's so true, Shelly says you need to play every drum because it'll call to you if you want. Everyone has its own sound. I picked it up and boom, 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 boom. I was there for about 20 minutes and I found this drum that was just perfect. It called to me. And as it turns out, she told me afterwards that was the only drum that was made of bear skin. And it still had a little bit of hair on certain areas on it. So I have a bearskin drum. Wow! And the only one, but that one is just the most beautiful sound.
0: Now, when you play the drum, the ones with skin heads, not mm-hmm. the not the metal mm-hmm. one, the is it different rhythms? I mean, how do you go about, or is it just a steady beat and you use that to layer with other things?
1: It's whatever you want to do. Mainly. I have it like a heartbeat. I like to sound it like a heartbeat, mm-hmm. or I'll do a variation on that. So mostly I just kind of do it as a heartbeat, whether like an eighth note or quarter note or whatever. Um, but if I, you know, I can pick up the tempo and and uh, vary that. So that that's mainly for me because I like that heartbeat sound. Um, yeah, but. Uh, you, you know, the, uh, skin drums are very persnickety cause they're very dependent on the weather. Well, humidity and temperature. Sure. You know, I've had it a few times you go to play, just thwop, yeah. nothing, <laughs> thwop, like, okay, I guess I won't be doing that. It's like, it, you know, maybe I should in, invest in a Remo drum or something, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So speaking of temperature and
0: humidity, mm-hmm. since you're Native American style, flutes are made from wood. Do you have to control the hum- relative humidity in your house where you store them?
1: I'm not really conscious of it. Uh, I, I mean, every time I'm finished playing them, I always disassemble. I take the block off and let it dry. Um, you know, and since you know I have air conditioning, it's pretty dry, yeah. and it uh, dries it out. But it is very uh, the humidity does play a very big role. Uh, For instance, when I was making Creekside Prayer, there's a tune on there called um, Embers to the Stars, which is done on the ancient Pueblo style flat rim flute. And that is very, at at least in my hands, I can't speak for any other player. In my hands, it's very sensitive towards the environmental conditions. Mm -hmm. Because I had a devil of a time getting a sound out of it at some point. all the songs on that except for embers to the stars were basically one take songs really yes wow. They were just one take uh, embers to the stars i had to do a few times or i had to have it spliced over um because of that problem and yeah. uh a butterfly no i think it's a cicada oh okay hmm. so um yeah and and the beauty with the pl- the ancient pueblo style flute is that that's some of the most beautiful sound flute that I've ever heard. Um, If you get a chance, I would encourage you or any listener out there, if you want to hear the ancient Pueblo style flute or the Anasazi flute, uh, get the CD, Time Travelers, um, by um, uh, Coyote Oldman, uh, AKA Michael Graham Allen. It's the most beautiful, haunting sound. But with these flutes, you would pick it up sometimes because it's all embature. And sometimes it just won't play. And other times it will play. And I can't predict when that's going to happen. At the Potomac Native Festival, um, uh, I went to, there was a concert there where a lot of the players uh, were um, um, playing and, uh, uh, you know, they pick up a flute, and suddenly nothing would come out. These are professionals. Yeah, Just calmly set it aside, pick up another flute, and play. And that's just the nature of it. So it's, uh, it, it, they can be persnickety, uh, but they are also, but the, uh, the um, type flutes that I play mostly with, the, the plain style flute, excuse me, with the um, block on it, um, they do wet out after 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, And that does affect the sound. So, you know, you have to hit it on the side or, you know, I have to be conscious if I'm playing in front of people not to, not to to flick it, not to flick it, especially in today's (laughs) world. My gosh. Yes. Um, So, you you know, those do have time limits uh, on, on playing. So I try to vary that.
0: So that'd be somewhat problematic if you're trying to record and it takes you longer than one take.
1: Yes, it can be where you just have to, disassemble it Um, but fortunately with this CD I didn't really have that issue Um, but sometimes when I'm practicing um, just uh, for for instance at my church um, a little plug if you don't mind Um, go ahead Um, uh, August um, August uh, 23rd and August 30th uh, I'll be playing music with my dear friend Sea Raven, who plays the Celtic harp, uh, will be playing uh, at the services, which is on Zoom, and um, but trying to get the recording done because I'm trying to do this well in ad- well in advance, uh, so Bill Brumfeld can you know do his magic and get it together. Um, that was hard to do sometimes. I had to do lots of takes because. Um, Especially with the Anasazi flute, sometimes it just would play, sometimes it wouldn't. Or if it wets out, because I'm my own worst critic, especially when I hear a recording of me. I absolutely hate it. I'm sure most people are like that. Um, and I want it to be just so, uh, so I'd start over again, start over again. And suddenly the flute's wet. So, so now what am I going to do? Okay, i got to wait. I'll wait till later or wait till tomorrow. Come back to it, you know. Um, uh So, but it was something interesting that you mentioned prior to the podcast starting that um, when it it comes to recording live, you know, you kind of want that element of realism. So, yeah, there was a couple of spots during it where there was a clear mistake. To me, it was a mistake, but I wanted to leave it in just to make it human, (laughs) you know. You know, I I don't want people thinking I'm, (laughs) you know, just flawless. You're you're not a robot. Um, So, yeah. So, and and one thing I learned by playing handbells is if you make a mistake, I mean, the uh, joke is you instantly turn to your neighbor and make a funny face, you know. Uh, But if you make a mistake, when you come to the DS Alcota or you come to the repeat, do the exact same thing again exact same thing again because otherwise yeah it's part of the tune or you know it's um, it's 16th century music with dissonance in it it's meant yeah. to be like that you know so <laughs> well I
0: read an article and it was an interview with a jazz guitarist or it might have been classical now I don't really remember but it was a, a woman who was talking about a particular concert she gave and these she was very nervous these are all very highly producing professional performers in what she does. They were coming to see her, it was sort of like a workshop. Mm-hmm. And she's performing and she said, she gets to a spot and she hits an obvious bad note. But she'd learned that you, you don't call it out, you just keep playing. Mm-hmm. But she did exactly what you just said. You play it in the same spot throughout, Finish the the tune And at the end of the performance, three or four people came up and said, that was brilliant what you Mm -hmm. did with that dissonance. How did you learn how to do that? And she's, you know, so, you know. Years of work. Yeah, see, so you're already right there.
1: Although, although (laughs) there is an instant where it's not wise to do that, where you have to get called on it because being a French horn player, you know, when you flub a note, everyone knows it. And I remember doing once a performance uh, the High School Musical was South Pacific, and you know the overture. Da da da. Yeah. You can imagine the horn flubbing that notes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to repeat it a second time would not be very wise. <laughs> <laughs> when the
0: train comes off the rails, sometimes it's better just, just to stop. Just and lick start the wounds. Over. So, who, where did you record your CD, Creekside? Prayer. Okay,
1: so actually in. Um, in two places, um, um, uh, Dr. Um, Ojos, which is a um, dear friend, um, her uh, of Jolie, uh, is uh, is a recorder. Uh, he plays music, and he has a recording studio in his uh, office of the home. So I did several songs uh, from his studio there. And the rest I did with uh, Bill Brumfeld at uh, um, uh, Clockwise Music. Uh, He's local, and he goes to our church. So I did the recordings there also in his studio. And he also did the mixing and and mastering for me. Uh, So I mean, he's a brilliant, I'm so glad to work with him. And it was kind of a learning experience for both of us too, because. It was his first experience uh, doing just solo work with a uh, woodwind instrumentalist, spe- specifically the flute. So he kind of learned with that too. But he did, I, I, he did a masterful job. Um, I, I, I would not have done that recording any different than what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I had it uh, played through CD Baby. So they did the CDs for me. Um, so, yes. And, uh, and so Bill Brumfeld is also, uh, bless his heart, he's doing the, the Zoom performances also mm-hmm. uh, for the church services. So he's, he's quite busy with that, but he's masterful. Oh, wonderful. I, I, I would go back to him instantly if I can ever afford getting another CD out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, now that CD Baby is no longer. So, yes. How do people, if they want to purchase Creekside Prayer, how do they go about it?
1: So, um, I have uh, either through Amazon, um, iTunes. I'm on iTunes. Uh, you can contact me um, at uh, com uh you know i send you a cd i have um download cards too that uh, even though cd baby is not doing the cds anymore if you have a download card you can still download from them oh you can okay so i have uh, lots of download cards uh, i can give you the code for that you can just go and download it uh, i'm also on spotify too
0: now the if someone wants to purchase the physical cd mm-hmm. And I understand they're selling fast, so the people want to make sure that they get a copy. Mm-hmm.
1: How much are they they paying to get it? So I'm uh, I'm charging uh, uh, fifteen dollars for the CD and ten dollars for the download card. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 what I would like to do.
0: Okay. Now, what is when I when I ask this question, I get a quizzical look mm-hmm. from the people I'm talking with when I say what's the future hold for Stephen Darnell, we understand that other, th- other than outside performances, wineries, farm breweries, Warman's Mill Village Center, things like that, that the opportunities to perform live are very almost nonexistent. Mm-hmm. But once the pandemic, hopefully we get rid of the virus or learn how to control it and things open up, what's the future hold from you, for you performance wise? What are you hoping for or planning for well, I uh, guess
1: I mean my uh, again like I mentioned earlier, my dream is to find a band to be a part of that, that's I really want to be a part of that but as a soloist, it'll be really nice to be able to play at a winery or at a coffee shop I've I not been successful trying to get my foot in the door on that um, and it You know, it it could just be the genre of music, or you know, there's a lot of performers out there that are logs ahead of me as far as talent. So, uh, but I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I love playing for the Chabro. I love playing for the local events, um, playing for my, playing for my church. Uh, Anything that I can get my hands on, I, I. I would love to do a winery because i think that would be a nice setting for me
0: Um, some of the wineries well again not necessarily right now because of the the current situation with the whole health thing but some of the wineries especially during the week and it makes it more difficult for someone who has a day job which which you do Mm. but they also do them on weekends do have like yoga Mm. they allot time they rent out the space to a yoga studio because the native american style flute music is so in my humble opinion very meditative Mm -hmm. very relaxing i would think that would go super well at some sort of a even if it's not just a yoga class but maybe because i'm sure they have yoga festivals you know of some sort like you had the um, native american uh, festivals i would think you would be like a shoe-in for that style to play where people, when they're who are attending, could just go off to the side and and, and meditate, mm-hmm. and just and it just would permeate the air. It'd be wonderful.
1: I, I agree. I th- that's a nice that's a nice thought. Um, uh, uh, I've actually played once or twice at a um, at a yoga setting uh, as a temporary. Um, And uh, but, you know, that that didn't really fan out. It was it was it was just a one time uh, thing. But I certainly agree that that would be a nice setting uh, for the type of music Mm -hmm. um, that I uh, that I play. Um, uh, Certainly meditative, um, just, you know, stress relief or something to that matter, which is which is what this what this music is. And that's partly why I'm drawn to it. A lot too is for that relief. You should
0: target the people who have to commute down 270. in rush hour where they're getting so frustrated put serenity on, now yeah. serenity now put on stephen darnell's <laughs> creekside prayer and just float home well
1: uh, you know the joke was i should have put a warning label on the cd saying i do not operate machinery <laughs> while listening to this music <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh well
0: this has been absolutely terrific thank you so well, much for sitting so in much, with me Todd. and we've uh, although it is warming up now it has been a delightful morning minus the the spider who decided spider, to uh, I, join I, you on mic there. For I'm a actually
1: moment. quite proud of myself. I handled that very well. <laughs>
0: well, I'm glad I was. A- he walked over the top of the the mic, so I could see thank him rather than going to Thank you for informing me because
1: I, I make no promises what would have happened if it actually would have jumped on my nose.
0: <laughs> well, again, thank you very much, and I hope people. Um, who haven't heard your music other than here in the podcast, mm-hmm. will contact you and maybe pick up a download card or a CD, or at least check you out on Spotify or iTunes, however they want to do it.
1: Please do. And uh, check out my website again at uh, stephendarnell.com. I, I, uh, I, I have a calendar on there for when I do have a gig event. Mm-hmm. I, I put that in and I put past gigs. I put some music on there that I've Perform live, so and photos, this. and photos, fo- lots of photos. Thank you to Jolie for taking those pictures of me. So uh, she's my number one fan. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but uh, I I I do have one thing to say though. Sure, okay. You know, Jolie's my fiance, and we're actually tying the knot at the end of this at the end of August.
0: Oh, congratulations! So,
1: yes, I <laughs>
0: mentioned to Carol before I came over. I said, you know, I mentioned Jolie, you know, your fiance, and I said, well, you know what? I haven't seen Stephen in a while. Maybe mm-hmm. they're married now.
1: Yeah. August 22nd.
0: Oh, congratulations. Oh, so thank cool. Thank you very much. So cool. Yes. You're a nice pair. Oh, thank you very much. I yes. was half expecting mm-hmm. to see her today.
1: Yeah. Well, she's watching the kids for Oh, me. okay. There you, there you <laughs> because go. Because my eldest is still asleep. He usually doesn't wake up till noon. <laughs> T- typical teenager. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, we're going to be ending the show with a cut from the Creekside Prayer CD by Stephen Darnell. It's called Sea of Tranquility. And again, thank you very much, Stephen.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you, Todd. Pleasure. Mm -hmm.
0: The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker in Frederick, Maryland at either the Wispy Mop Music Studio or on location like we are today at the Chabro Stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company sitting across from Stephen Darnell. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to tell friends about it, they can either go to wispymopmusic.podbean.com or you can check it out on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.